Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk with Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Bonjour. Bonjour, mon ami, my friend. Thank you for joining me. Transcending time and space together. I am so grateful, 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 grateful. Grateful that we get to have this divine opportunity, that the technology of the world is providing us the means to be the two or more gathered in the name and the nature of Christ. And we place our hand on our heart and we declare our willingness to know, to remember, to recognize the truth. We say yes to our wholeness and our holiness. We're already as holy as holy can be. We're already completely perfect. This is the truth of our being, and there's nothing we can do about it. (laughs) It's permanent. It's everlasting, and we are grateful to recognize this is so. We join together with the higher Holy Spirit self to recognize our perfection, our wholeness, and our holiness, and to see it reflected back to us in our brothers and sisters, for all is one. All are perfect. All are holy. All are blessed. And we are grateful to open ourselves to receive the blessings that are ours to receive. We are truly grateful and truly thankful to know ourselves in our complete and perfect state, our natural state, our divinity. We are grateful and thankful to say yes to tremendous love and light. We are grateful and thankful to allow ourselves to be lifted and shifted and carried. We're relinquishing all resistance and reluctance to this life of love that we desire. We're allowing ourselves to fully have it. We're allowing ourselves to fully know it, to recognize it, to see it and be it. And we are grateful and thankful to say yes in this very moment now. We are on a mission from God with a holy purpose to remember the truth and to share the benefits with everyone. In gratitude, We let it be, and so it is. Amen, amen, amen. Yes. So I uh, will just speak a a word here for a moment uh, about some other things before I get to our topic, which is how to know if you have a fear of God. So right now, in the world of effects, I know you may end up listening to this many years from now, but today, on this day of broadcast, uh, there's a lot going on in the world. Stock markets around the world are greatly affected. Uh, there's a pandemic a breakout of the coronavirus, and there's a lot of stuff going on. I am getting ready to travel tomorrow to Los Angeles for an event there, and I am paying attention to the news. And I used to not pay attention at all to the news, but now I really see it as my prayer request list. And holding everything and everyone in the light is part of my being truly helpful. So not buying into the illusion and delusion, but recognizing that other people are having compassion, holding the high watch, knowing the truth. It's our responsibility. So I'd like to share with you a couple of quotes from A Course in Miracles that I find inspiring and helpful. One is, the mind that serves spirit is invulnerable. The mind that serves spirit is invulnerable. I like to say I work for God Incorporated. And so there, there in my defenselessness, I am protected. I am invulnerable. 
Another wonderful quote is, the truly helpful are invulnerable because they are not protecting their egos and so nothing can hurt them. So we can conclude from that that if we are protecting our ego, that will hurt us. And of course we have plenty of examples of that in our life, right? Have you ever tried to defend yourself and you're actually hurting yourself? Have you ever tried to argue that you're right about something and it actually hurt you in the sense that you got upset, you got angry, you got annoyed, you got frustrated, you felt sad or depressed or anything because of defending the ego, protecting the ego. So those who are invulnerable do not need to protect themselves. How do we get to be invulnerable? Be truly helpful and let your mind be in service to spirit. So most of us are going in and out of that. And one of the things that I find very helpful is to dedicate myself to it each and every day and many, many times throughout the day to rededicate myself to it. So for me, I I like to say I serve the light. I serve the light. I work for God Incorporated and I serve the light. All right, so now let's turn to how to know if you have a fear of God. And, um, gosh, it just keeps pinging in my mind that if you follow me on Facebook, there's a few ways to follow me. There's the Course of Miracles podcast page. There's the Jennifer Helen Hadley page. There's the Prayer for Today page. And there's the Living A Course in Miracles page. Those are um, four ways you can follow me. And you can also follow my personal profile, but I think I'm out of friends uh, pretty much there. So, But you can still follow me. And I like to post messages of encouragement and inspiration. So if you are feeling vulnerable, you can look for that. And of course, you can get my Daily Shot of Spiritual Espresso, which is my prayer and my daily blog. Now, having a fear of God is something that virtually all beings have to some degree, right? And we do different things with it, okay? So this dark fear is about protecting the ego, This fear of God is all about protecting the ego. So how to know if you have a fear of God? When we are trying to make things better in our world, by working in the world and relying upon our own interpretations of things and We're arguing for what we think is right. Then that's evidence that we don't trust God, that we fear God. Right? If we if we're not placing our full faith and trust in God, it could only be because we fear God. Now, every year in Masterful Living, I get to do wonderful Uh, opportunity to have precious one-on-one time throughout the year a number of different times with the beautiful beings who participate in Masterful Living. It's one of the the best parts of my job. And in those one-on-one sessions, we talk about their fears and their concerns and their aspirations and their goals. And with each being, then what I can tell you is from Hundreds of these conversations, right, if not more, uh, over the 12 years that I've been offering my Masterful Living course, in all these years, the majority of people tell me that their number one issue is trust, which is why I put so much into that development of trust section in Chapter 4 of the Manual for Teachers, and I recommend that you look at it and study it. And I've done 
episodes of this podcast on trust, trust and faith. It's easy to search for in the archive. Remember, if you're on iTunes, there are two podcasts, Course of Miracles, Course of Miracles Archive. If you're on a a different kind of a device, say uh, Android or something, it's all just one podcast. So trust and faith is a major issue for all of us. And that developing trust and faith is the pathway to undo the fear of God. Because no one who places their trust and faith in God is more concerned about a fear of God, you see. So when we place our trust and faith in God, it helps us undo the fear of God. It is the fastest path of undoing that I know. The way to undo the fear of God is through placing our trust and faith in love. God is love. So when we have a fear of God, we will be afraid to trust God. Pretty simple, not confusing. So since most spiritual students, this is their biggest issue, trust and faith, That is how we undo the fear of God. So if the biggest issue that most spiritual students have is they're afraid to place their trust and faith in God, they must also be afraid of God, right? So think of a child, right? Think of a child, maybe three, four years old, who is afraid to pet the dog, right? And the dog is big. The dog is bigger than them. Of course, it could be a fearful experience, right? But an adult comes along and shows them, look, I can pet the dog. The The dog is loving. The dog is safe. This dog is safe. See how the dog is being so gentle with me? See how the dog understands that you're afraid and is being gentle with you? You see how that's working? And see, look, I'm petting the dog. And here, take my hand and we'll pet the dog together. Another example would be a child who is um, feeling afraid to go somewhere right to to whatever to go into the next room to go into the ocean and the parent that the child trusts takes the child's hand or picks the child up and says let's go together we'll go into the ocean together look see the waves do seem a bit scary but look it's safe trust me the the child puts their hand in the parent's hand and goes with the parent to touch the dog, to go into the ocean, to test the water. The child is willing to place their trust in the parent's knowing. And so then the child can relax and feel safe and move forward. If the child does not trust the parent, they will scream. They'll become hysterical. They won't want to do it. They'll become paralyzed with fear. That's us. We are afraid to trust God. Why are we afraid to trust God? Because we believe that God is not trustworthy. Why do we believe that God is not trustworthy? It's a projection, right? I, last week, the, uh, I, I talked about perception and projection. So it's a projection. It's a belief that we're projecting onto God. It's not true. We know it's not true. How? Because it upsets us. The things that are true help us to feel safe and free. The things that are false upset us. They irritate us. They frighten us. They agitate us. So we can easily know where we are in terms of where our trust and faith are. 
when our trust and faith is actually in love, then we will feel safe. But if our trust and faith is in our own opinions and judgments, our own capacity to discern, then we will not feel safe. Because we know we make mistakes all the time, and then we argue that we are right when we are not right. And we know that we do this, and we've done it many, many times. It's a repeating pattern for us. And so this is why we don't feel safe. But we project it onto God. So, for instance, many people have had experiences where they prayed and prayed and prayed for something. Please, God, let me keep this job. Let me keep this job. Please, 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 please help me. Help me, help me, help me. Uh, And then they get fired. They get laid off. And they think that God doesn't love them. God doesn't care. They think they put their trust and faith in God, but they didn't. They didn't. Begging and beseeching it from a fearful place is not putting trust and faith in God. Because when we're in a fearful place and we're begging and beseeching, what is the thought that we have invested in? What is the belief that we have placed our trust and faith in? Lack, limitation, separation from good, separation from God. We cannot feel safe and believe in lack and limitation. So if we're begging and beseeching and praying from a deep sense of lack, and we're praying to get something from a sense of lack, our faith is in the lack. We have made it so real in our mind. We have placed our trust and faith in it and blown it up to make it bigger than life. And now we're asking God to save us from the demon that we have fabricated. And that's our life story. Right? Until we realize, oh, that horror story is not my true story. That's the one I made up. My real story is a story of God's glory. I am here to glorify God, not to hide from God. But when we believe that we're sinners, we're going to hide from God because we have come to believe that God punishes sinners. Now, I'm going to break this down a bit deeper here. So, why do we believe that God punishes sinners? Well, what do we believe sin is? We believe that sin is uh, murder, and sin is when we lie, and sin is when we steal, and when we cheat, right? We actually, deep down, believe that we have murdered the Christ within. We believe that we have stolen uh, our life from God, and we're using it willfully to make a mess of things. We're using it willfully to enjoy the pleasures of the body and to be sexual beings and to indulge in in um, the seven deadly sins, right? The av- avarice and the greed and the sloth and all the things that we label ourselves as being bad for choosing. So we've made up this whole litany of sins, right? But God, in the infinite creator mind, there's no such thing as sin. But we've made up this sin. In the infinite mind of God, in the the mind of the creator, there's no judgment. So there can be no sin. But what anyone could see is, oh, we have chosen to glorify the body instead of the spirit. Well, if we choose to glorify the body instead of spirit, we're going to experience the effects of that. And we can label it 
any way we'd like, but we're going to feel more and more disconnected from spirit, which is the source of all love, all joy, all freedom, all prosperity, all harmony, all beauty, all wisdom, all clarity. Everything that we desire so deeply is only given to us from God. Seek the kingdom first and everything else will be added unto you. Everything else is that list I just named, that list of spiritual qualities that are omnipresent and omnipotent and omniactive. So when we are labeling ourselves as sinners, we naturally, of course, feel unworthy. And we have been taught for thousands of years that we will be punished by God for choosing to run from God. But you see, this is where Jesus is such a good teacher to us. I often think, and I'm so grateful for the parable of the day laborers, and of course the prodigal son, they're really just different versions of the same teaching, really. So, of course, we all know in the prodigal son, he squandered his inheritance. That was the appearance. That was the appearance, that he squandered his inheritance. Because the appearance, from the ego perspective, is that the inheritance is finite, right? That the inheritance is a certain amount of money that is only worth something in this world. That is the appearance in the story of the prodigal son. But Jesus knows that's not true, right? So let's say, I mean, just in practical terms, if you look at it in in now modern times, let's say that the father, uh, the son goes to the father and says, Dad, I'd like my inheritance now, not when you pass away, because I'm an adventurer. I'd like to go out and enjoy life and experience life like like Buddha did, and go out and experience all the, the pleasures of this world, and, and I need cash to do that. So can you give me my inheritance? I, I want to go see what I can do with it. So let's say the inheritance is... Uh, $100,000. So he goes out, he spends all that money. Now he's broke, he's destitute. <clears throat> he is the, uh, he's, he's sleeping with the pigs. He's getting scraps of food from the pigs. And he has this realization, holy cow, if I went back to my father's house and just was a servant in my father's house, I'd be eating better than I am now. I'm going home. I'm going back. So his uh, sense of poverty, right? And of course, to the Jewish young man, to be living among the pigs, uh, that's the worst thing, right? Because pigs were unclean, you didn't eat pork, blah, blah, blah. So he goes home, and the father welcomes him, as we all know, and gives him beautiful clothes, puts a ring on his finger, and welcomes him home. Now, the father, who knows? The father, the loving father, maybe his fortunes have doubled, tripled, quadrupled. Who knows? Since the son left. There, there's a whole... The, the, the inheritance is not finite. The inheritance of God's kingdom is infinite. But we think in terms of limitation and lack because we feel separate from the infinite. So we, we would fear going home. We would fear that returning home would mean that we would be attacked, we'd be ridiculed, we'd be shut out, we'd be shamed because we had made such a terrible, terrible mistake by leaving in the first place. But the father who truly loves the son welcomes him back. I thought you were dead. You were gone. I thought you were dead and you're back. Oh my God, this is my happiest day. You've returned to me. No punishment. No sin's been committed. The son did what young men often do and women too. They go on adventures. 
and they can return home. But if we make up a whole story in our mind, we're going to fear everything there is to fear about returning home. And this is why Jesus gave us this parable of the prodigal son. I, I'd like to go into the next thing, but I don't have time before my break. So one of the things I'm going to tell you here, I've got a little bit of time. I'm going to do a, a forgiveness workshop in the Boston area, March 22nd, Sunday, March 22nd, and in the New York area, Sunday, March 29th. You can, it's, it's, there's no cost to it. It's a donation only. But you must register at jenniferhadley.com on the events page. So please register there. Also, you'll see the retreat that I'm doing. It's online for recovery from sexual abuse. Online retreat the first weekend in April. And then also I'm doing some events in the UK, a retreat and things like that. So check it out, jenniferhadley.com events page. You're listening to A Course in Miracles on Unity Online Radio. We're living the love. We're walking the talk. I'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. And we're back. So glad to be back. (laughs) And so before the break, I was sharing about the parable of the prodigal son and how it relates to this fear of God and how to recognize if we have this fear of God. The other parable that I find so helpful and so comforting, even more comforting than the one of the prodigal son is the one of the day laborers. So, uh, and many people don't know this prodigal of the day laborers, which is why I bring it up frequently. So, uh, the story is of the landowner who needs day laborers to pick the crops and goes to town and says, come to my farm and help me pick the crops. Uh, There's work. So, all day long, people are coming. So some start work at 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m., all the way. People are still coming at 4 p.m., 5 p.m., they're still coming. And then at the end of the day, when the day is done, uh, all the laborers are gathered together and the landowner pays them all the same wage. And people are upset. Hey, wait a minute. Uh, This guy just got here an hour ago, and I've been here since sunrise. I've been here since 7 a.m. What do you mean you're going to pay us the same? I've done, you know, 9, 10 hours work, and this guy's only done an hour. How could you pay us the same? And this is the difference in God's kingdom. All are given the entire load of heaven. No one is given more or less. There is no separation. There is no judgment. There is no favorite. We don't have to earn our place in heaven. It's given to us. What we do have to do is, and this is the whole point of the parable, we have to show up. We have to show up and say, yes, I'd like my Entrance to the kingdom. Yes, I'd like to work for the Lord, the great law of life. I would like to serve the light. I would like to work for God Incorporated. And all who show up, whenever they show up, are given the full employment package with all the benefits. That's how God rolls in this world. But... We don't believe it. We don't believe it, therefore we don't see it. And we think that some people are given more than others, and some people are given better than others. So, for instance, we can look at, uh, if, if we believe that wealth is more important than anything else, we'll look at people who have wealth 
and say that they are favored by God in some way. How come they have wealth and I don't? I work so hard. How come they have it and I don't? So this is the judging mind that's always evaluating things from a false system of beliefs. That's why my go-to is I don't know what anything is for, lesson 25. Now, here's the thing about the fear of God that's so pervasive. It's just in everything, everywhere, the fear of God. If you look around your life and you just see that you're not trusting in God, you don't have faith in God, it's because you fear God. Just like the child who wouldn't go with the parent because they didn't trust them. I'm not going in that ocean with you. You throw, you, you, you've done so many things with me. You've let me down so many times. I am not putting my hand in your hand to go with you into that ocean. I do not trust you. That does not look safe. And the very fact that you're leading me to it, I do not trust. So God is always leading us to more patience, more love more peace, more joy, more freedom, more prosperity, more harmony. Because those are the only things that are real. But we pull back. How do we pull back? We pull back through our opinions and our judgments, through energizing our beliefs, through arguing that we are right. When we're upset... It's never for the reason we think. We're upset because we don't trust God. We trust our own opinions and judgments. That is why we are upset every time we're upset. There are no exceptions. Everything works together for good, and there are no exceptions. But we like to make exceptions. When we make exceptions, where's our trust? Where's our faith? It's not in God. It's not in the all good of God. It's in our discernment. And our discernment is our capacity for discernment, our ability to discern. The quality of our discernment is 100% related to the decisions that we have made about the past. Is that a good basis for us to discern anything? In my experience, it is not a good basis for me to discern anything. Every time I feel upset, annoyed, or frustrated with another human being, that is my opportunity for healing. When I feel upset, annoyed, or frustrated with myself, that is my opportunity for healing. Let me not make the same old choice, thinking that I'm right, energizing those old beliefs, decisions, and patterns. Let me break from that paradigm and do what the prodigal son did. Let me return home. Let me go and labor in the field of love, working for God Incorporated. Those who serve the light are invulnerable, This is the truth. The mind that serves spirit is invulnerable. The truly helpful are invulnerable because they are not protecting their egos and so nothing can hurt them. Whenever I feel a sense of fear or lack or limitation, I have put my trust in faith, not in God, but in my own discernment, in my own sense of what I can do for myself. Let me not depend on that. This is such an intense habit to break because the whole world revolves around it. This is how we've been trained for thousands of years and generations. But we, you and I, are the ones who are here in this experience, to be truly helpful by breaking these attachments to these paradigms. So we must do what we are here to do, which is to serve the light with our whole heart and our whole being. And people fear that because the the teaching 
of the ego thought system is that it means we have to take a vow of poverty and a vow of chastity, and it means we have to live without pleasure, and it means we have to wear ugly clothes and stay home, and we can't go dancing, and we can't enjoy life at all. But that's not true. That is not true. The greatest enjoyment of my life has always been when my heart is open and I'm freely expressing love. It's not when other people are loving me. It's when I'm loving them. It's when I'm enjoying that there's beauty in this world, that I am safe in the arms of love in this world. That is the greatest joy. For me, the greatest joy has always been when I am being truly helpful. And this is the teaching of Jesus. There is no greater joy than to be truly helpful. But if we fear God and we're being helpful in ways that we're not being guided or led to, but we're leaning on our own opinions and judgments. Oh, I should help the poor. Oh, I should help those people. They're really in trouble. Then we're going to be in that position of making all kinds of errors because we're not looking with the eyes of love. So, for instance, there's here's another classic story, not a parable of Jesus, but a a modern parable of the internet. I used to get this in my story in my email back in the 90s about the person who saw the butterfly struggling to get out of the cocoon and went into the house and got a pair of little nail scissors and carefully clipped away the cocoon to liberate the butterfly from the cocoon, thinking that they were being truly helpful to that butterfly. But what they didn't know, because they didn't know anything about butterflies, was that the butterfly needed that struggle out of the cocoon in order to be able to fully form their wings. They needed that that struggle to get out. That That's the thing that would... Um, be this pressure on the wings that would help to distribute all the the material, I don't know what it is, the fluids in the wings to make them fully formed. Without that struggle, the butterfly was deformed the rest of its life. The person who liberated the butterfly crippled the butterfly because didn't understand. And that's the thing. I see this with parents and their children all the time, that they don't let the children go through their own learning. They're trying to help them so much that the child is crippled because the child has not learned to discern. The child has not had to struggle, right? So we don't want to force our children to struggle, but if they don't have to work for things, if everything is given to them, we can help and support them and know the highest and best for them without doing it for them. You know, it's like if your 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 child would like to be a mountain climber and you say, oh, listen, I'll climb all the mountains for you. I'll hire somebody to climb the mountains for you. And you can be a world-class mountain climber that way. Well, that doesn't work, and we know that doesn't work. It would be ludicrous to think that anybody could become a gold medal Olympic athlete by the parents hiring someone else to um, swim the laps for them or skate the ice for them. That would be insane. We know that's insane. But people do that in other ways, right? We've had that... um, college admissions scandal in the last year, parents paying to get their children admitted into schools. People have been doing that as long as there have been schools, right? But is that the highest and best for the child? Well, the parents obviously think it is. So like in that college admissions scandal, what is the worst part of that? Of course, this could be a judgment. But my sense is the greatest pain... Uh, in it is that 
the children who it's been exposed that their parents paid for them, the children now know that their parents don't believe that they're capable of doing it on their own. That is the crushing blow to their ego. Now, what can happen from this? The child can not judge their parent and realize that their parent was just projecting onto them their own fears about their own parenting, that they haven't done good parenting, so the child is not prepared or capable of getting into college on their own. So the, the, the child can not judge their parents, realize what's actually going on, and then they can, on their own merit, work to get into the college they'd like to get into. And good for them. And then they turn all that karma around and become a blessing. I didn't see that coming in all of this. All right. So what, what I'm endeavoring to get myself to, oh my Course of Miracles book is just falling apart. I need to have it re um, bound, I guess. Yeah, glued. I should look into who could do that. All right. So in uh, chapter 19, the section, The Obstacles to Peace, and I think I'll do a series on The Obstacles to Peace, but today I'm looking at this chapter 19, section 4, paragraph 7, where it says, Those who fear death see not how often and how loudly they call to it and bid it to come and save them from communication. For death is seen as safety, the great dark savior from the light of truth, the answer to the answer, the silencer of the voice that speaks for God. So there are a lot of spiritual students that I meet. Uh, I've met many over the years who don't like this world so much that they look forward to death. And then there are those who fear death, right? So death is not real. This is the teaching. In the paragraph before, paragraph 6, Jesus tells us, the body can but serve your purpose. Now, what is our purpose? To be truly helpful. To teach only love. Now, if we have a different purpose, pleasure, escape, the body can serve that purpose as well. The body doesn't choose because the body does not have the awareness to choose. We choose. We are the choosers. And we can choose again. It says here in this paragraph 6, Death, were it true, would be the final and complete disruption of communication which is the ego's goal. So remember that Jesus tells us the body is for communication. Right? That's what it's for. It's very helpful to us in our remembering the truth. So I'm communicating to you right now via the body. Right? I, my body is helping me to say words. So that's how I'm communicating. You're listening to it with the body, with the body's ears. So it all seems, right? But the, the body is not real. Only spirit is real. So the body seems to experience death. And in the ego thought system, the ego's goal would be that complete disruption of communication. That we are no longer to communicate with spirit, with each other, 
And of course, our goal here is to be truly helpful and teach only love. So when the body dies, that's no longer possible. It's a total disruption of communication. So Gary Renard, he he talks about, I love Gary Renard, he talks about how the ego is out to kill us. It's constantly protecting and it's out to kill us. It is the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde of our experience in terms of, and of course it's all our thoughts about the body, our thoughts about ourselves, our thoughts about God that are playing out in our physical experience. That's why I go to Lesson 25, I do not know what anything is for. Instead of trying to understand everything, which is a fool's errand, I place my trust and faith in God and say, my intention, my aspiration is to serve the light. How can I best serve the light? To choose the atonement for myself. To recognize there is no separation. There is only love. And that is what I am. I am that I am. I am perfect love. I am already as holy as holy can be. I cannot become or be made any more holy. That is crazy. And I will not go down crazy town anymore. I'm going to place my trust and faith in God. So when we are working hard in the world to get ahead, where's our trust and faith? Not in God. Why is it not in God? Because we fear God. When we're working so, so hard to get our goals met, we are not trusting in God. We fear God. It's that simple. The way out of that pattern is to forgive ourselves. Just like the prodigal son in order to make that journey home and to feel worthy of his father's love and acceptance and welcoming, the son must forgive himself for any judgments he's had. Of course, the son, after having squandered his inheritance, is going to deeply, intensely judge himself. The, the very use of the word squandered his inheritance. What he did is he invested it in learning about the pleasures of life. And he learned about the fleeting happiness that that can bring. And now he has the perfect experience of contrast. The contrast between the joy of living in the kingdom of God, being completely loved and adored by the Father. The contrast of that against seeking pleasure and living in those momentary bits of pleasure. The momentary bits of pleasure do not give uh, uh, sustaining support. And that's why his inheritance seemed to have been squandered. Right? The investment that he made in his own pleasuring and adventures did not give him more to invest. It did not increase his wealth and health and well-being. But what it did was his experience stripped away the delusion and the illusion that all of that experience is the great value. Now he knows. So now he can return home to his father and serve the light, be of service, right? That's the whole thing. When he's laying there in the pigsty with the pigs or working there, whatever, that he realizes if I were a servant in my father's house, I would have more than I have here. I'm going home.
to me, that is a critical part of the story that I don't ever hear anybody else talking about. Be a servant to the light. Dwell in your Father's house serving the Lord. And you will be invulnerable. You will not be worried about the virus. You will not be worried about the stock market. You will feel invulnerable. I see it all the time. I see it all the time playing out. Because when we're making decisions from a fearful place, we're not going to make good decisions. So when we're afraid, we know our trust and faith is in our own discernment. And that's when we can say, enough, I'm going back home. I'm going home. I'm going to wait until spirit leads me and guides me. And that's the thing. To eliminate the fear of God is to place our trust and faith in God. Be willing to make the most loving choices we can see. That is a demonstration of trust and faith in God. And we can practice that and get really good at it. And this is what my dedication is. And I'm so grateful that when I don't trust love, it doesn't feel good. And I can learn to make a U-turn and go the other way. Yes, yes, yes. I'd like to say here, if you're living in the UK or in Europe and you'd like me to come and do a retreat and do some teaching there, there's an opportunity for me to come, but I do need you to vote for it. And uh, I'm willing to do my Stop Playing Small retreat and either my teacher training or my spiritual counseling training. I've got events planned end of May, early June, but I'm only going to come if enough people register. So you can pre-register with a modest deposit that's totally refundable. Check out the details on the events page at jenniferadley.com. And we still have A Course in Miracles conference tickets. We've got a few left. All right. I'm grateful and thankful to place my trust and faith in God. This is what I know for each and every one of us. In gratitude, we serve the light. We let it be. And so it is. Amen, amen, amen. Mwah! 